So I had, at that stage, I'd already, I sold my car, bought a competition spec Aurelia and had it in my apartment, which is on the third floor, yeah. which is third floor espresso, yeah. aka 3FE. Um, and so I had all the equipment already and I, I used to invite people to my apartment too, and someone didn't even like coffee and I make coffee and that's, that's amazing. And at this stage I was, you know, the fourth best person in the world. Mm. So I, I just knew, I just feel like I just knew I could convince people. Welcome to or welcome back to Coffee with April. My name is Patrick Rolf, and this is a conversation with some amazing professionals and entrepreneurs in the coffee industry. Sharing their perspective and experience, it's about integrity, quality, and the future. For this conversation, we met up with Colin Harmon, founder of 3FE in Dublin, Ireland, one of the most interesting roasteries in Europe currently. And he's a legend, both when it comes to competing, but also recently in terms of writing his own books. This was an absolutely amazing conversation, and I'm very happy to be able to share it with you. Cool. So uh, we're sitting here in the 3FE roastery. Uh, I'm Colin with me. Um, and today we're going to talk, talk about a lot of things, because when sitting with, with Colin, it's hard not to, because <laughs> you've done a lot of things, right? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure a lot, a lot of good things, a lot of bad things for sure as well. And we're going to try to kind of uh, reveal some of them, or at least the parts that you want to. Uh, we're going to talk about everything from you know books, uh, video competitions, running companies, starting companies, um, how you become one of the most famous coffee brands in the world, which I would presume to if you. Yes, at okay. least if you, at least if you're, um, if you would ask me to name, you would be on that list, right? Um, but first of all, and something that I personally want to ask you about, because I remember very, very clearly the first time where I, I, I saw you on stage, right? I was sitting as, uh, at Miles in Melbourne, and it was the World Versa Championships, and you were competing in the finals. Uh, you do two things that really amazed me back in the days. Uh, first of all, when you started the espresso, uh, you asked them to evaluate the crema and then pour it over into another vessel to drink, right? yeah. which is something that really stuck with me. And you do your super famous, um, amazing signature beverage, where you actually bottle the beverage and yeah. serve it, right? which is absolutely amazing. And f- for me, the coolest part here is that I never seen anyone move so effortlessly in a booster competition. Huh. Like it looks like you're the kind of guy you, you, you uh, when one watch you, it looks like you have all the time in the world. Right? You're the most comfortable guy on stage ever. Oh. And I want us to start there because I think competitions are important and they've been personally important for me as well in coffee. And I just want to see if we can start with that moment. Right? You've been competing. You've been in the world several times. Um, why have you been co- competing so much? What had that kind of given you? And uh, how did you end up in Melbourne doing, doing what you did? Wow. Um, like... I think I competed for many different reasons. It's not just one thing. So it's kind of a, it's a combination of a lot of different things. Initially, it was because I wanted to learn about coffee. So when I got into coffee, there wasn't really very many training schools or places you could go to learn about coffee. So I had a job at Coffee Angel. And Carl, who ran the business, was um, 
an Irish barista champion at one time, and he was he said you should just enter the barista competition. So I said, oh, I'll do that. And I just wanted feedback from my peers. And so I entered that competition. Uh, I think I was like, how long was I working? I was about six months in the job. Yeah. After I wasn't even allowed to pour. I wasn't allowed to steep milk when I was in the Irish barista championships. Okay, cool. And I won, which is weird. And then I was going to the World Barista Championships to represent Ireland, and the year before, Stephen Morrissey had won. Yeah. And that was in, in Copenhagen, no? Yeah, in Copenhagen. Yeah, so that I was going to Atlanta the year after, and everybody's like, oh, who's the next Irish guy? And I had, like, by that stage, I had a year's experience. And, like, I, I remember talking to William Davies before. I, I didn't know how to pour into porcelain cups because we only used mm. paper cups at, at the coffee car. Yeah. So I had to learn how to pour into porcelain. So, and then I. Uh, like I don't say this is a kind of oh look how great I am like it's ridiculous I finished fourth in the world like it doesn't make any sense I didn't know like I didn't know what pulp to natural meant you know it's okay, like yeah. I was uh, completely blacked so uh, that meant that uh, that was great and then I could build other things on it but like so I, I went in to learn more about coffee and all of a sudden the people and this isn't true when people say it but they oh you're the fourth best person in the world you're like well technically but not really mm. and it just kind of went from there and then after that because I started my business, it became a good place to um, to learn. Well, learning is always a big thing, but then also to promote your business. Yeah, yeah. So, did you if, you, if we just rewind back there for a second, did you did you start that business as a result of, of you competing? Was that an important part of it, or were you going to start that business regardless? I always wanted. So before that, I worked in, in investment funds. So I was a trustee officer for professional investment funds and. I wanted to start my own business. I saw there was an opportunity in coffee. I was very interested in coffee. And I was terrified. So I said, I'll just take a year out and see mm. if I can do it. And then a year to the day after I left my job, I was in the final of the World Versus Championship. So I was That's like, amazing. Yeah. So at that stage, I'd already given my notice to Carl and um, I think like two or three months before the, the World Championship. So when I came back, I I think I worked a, co- a couple more weeks just to, until they found someone to replace me. And then I am... Um, Kind of freelance for a while, then in December later that year, about seven months later, I set up 3FE in the lobby of a nightclub on Abbey Street. Yeah, um, and like I had an idea of what I wanted to do in terms of like what could be done in terms of like shops and roasteries and all this kind of stuff, but more than anything, I just didn't want to regret never giving it a go. Yeah, so if I had gotten through the year and you know lost a fortune, learned a few lessons. And going back to my old job, I would have been really happy because then I wouldn't have had that devil on my shoulder. Going, you know, yeah. what, what would have happened if you had tried it? You know. Okay, okay, that's pretty. Well, is that something you you always had with you? Like, if you, if you date back even to your like early days as 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 growing up, because you you say it as a very natural thing, but I think for a lot of people, taking that initial step is actually well, most people don't. To be fair, like mm. most people still uh, end up later in life kind of thinking, okay, I wished I really did that. Um, but I didn't, right? Is that something that you always had then? Um, like, yes and no. I think like as a child uh, or even as a young adult, I was, I was, how do I say that? I had a lot of confidence in my ability, but I had very low self-esteem. Okay. And I didn't, I used to read books or when I, if I was studying business or you're reading a business book or listening to entrepreneurs, mm. they're always presented or talk about themselves like they're, they're charismatic, they're great leaders, they're motivated and stuff. Yeah. And I'd always go, oh, crap, I want to have a business. And then I'd always say, well, I, I can't have a business because I'm not like that person. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. And when I talk to my friends about running a business, they'd always say, oh, you're, I don't think you're cutthroat enough or you're not 
because obviously you know when you're 16 you don't think of yourself yes yeah. whatever and that like that meant I was always disappointed and then when I got to about 27 I I think I was just angry I was a bit like okay I realised yeah. that you know why can't I do it you know and I said I'm just going to I'm going to take a year and see if I can do it and to me there wasn't any risk because I had a very safe pensionable job was well paid and a lot of people took a year out to go travelling and yeah. like so I thought at the worst I'll come back in a year and it'll be fine. So it was a bit embarrassing, if anything, like because to go work in like a little coffee cart near my office where I used to work and people just thought I lost the rag. Yeah, I think I think that's a very interesting point, and that's something that I came across um, early on as well because people are friends and family, then right, important people that that uh, has some kind of impact on what you do in life. I, I also had that in a sense where they could not. You know, understand why in the world would you leave a well-paying job moving into coffee? Right? Mm. Obviously, you some sort of prove them all wrong. But uh, was that a very difficult part as well? Or that was easy. Yeah, it really was. Like because it felt safe at the time. No, three months after I left the the, the bank that I worked at, mm. the the economic crash happened. Ah, so then I couldn't go back. Yeah. So I was like, at the time, it didn't seem like a risk. Three months later, it did. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, there was no jobs. So, but then I suppose in a way that made it easy because it was like I kind of saw the city, uh, Dublin was ravaged by the, you know, that downturn. Uh, but all of a sudden, it was like there was a forest fire and I was the green shoots coming through, you know. Yeah. And there was lots of businesses in the city that were starting with nothing. And a lot of people in the city got behind me really quickly because they could see that, you know, I was starting with nothing and. The city wanted to get behind small indigenous businesses that were having yeah. a go, you know. So that kind of helped, but it was, um, yeah, it was that definitely uh, it made things harder, made it easier. But like, I definitely it happened because I was like, I think for want of a better phrase, I was just a bit angry that like I was never going to get the opportunity to be the person I thought I could be and do the things I wanted to do. Um, and I went, you know what, I'm just going to have a go. Yeah. And it was the best decision I ever made, really. Amazing. And then, and then you, on top of that, you, you do it in a nightclub. Yeah. Which is a, it's a pretty uh, unconventional place to, to start your first coffee shop in. Like, how can you walk us through that? How how do you end up there? So, I didn't have, I didn't have any money. Like, and, uh, I mean, not that I was poor, like, I'm, uh, like, I had a good job and all that, but I didn't have any money to go into it. I, the idea of borrowing money from a bank to set up a business in my mind just didn't make sense. Like today I can understand that, but back then I was, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And the banks weren't loaning anyway. Yeah. So I had, at that stage, I'd already, I sold my car and bought a competition spec Aurelia and had it in my apartment, which is on the third floor, yeah. which is third floor espresso, yeah. aka 3FE. Um, and so I had all the equipment already and I... I used to invite people to my apartment too, and some of them didn't even like coffee, and I make them coffee, and they go, that's, that's amazing. And mm. at this stage, I was, you know, the fourth best person in the world. Mm. So I, I just knew, I just feel like I just knew I could convince people. So I opened the shop in the lobby of the nightclub because it was the only place I could get for free. free. Mm. A friend of a friend offered to me, he said, if it starts to make money, you can pay rent. If it doesn't, I'll be lost. And I'd have, I'd like, had a few opportunities that I could have done around the world, but I wanted to do something in Dublin because I loved Dublin. And yeah. I just I saw that there was an opportunity and I never got one like it. So, I mean, it was challenging. Like it's Abbey Street, especially back then, is not a particularly trendy part of the city. You know, and yeah, it's a bit no, sure. and opening up a coffee shop in a space that smells like cigarette butts yeah. and it's covered in broken glass yeah. and beer is not. It seems to be the story of a lot of coffee shops, though. 
opening yes. in those kind of areas and then to some extent being a part of, of uh, you know, reinventing the area as well. Mm. Uh, but you did something different. You moved. You changed location. What was, what was that process about? How long did you stay in the, in the first place? Why did so, you move? Well, I always wanted to have my own place. And like, like even today, we get offered a lot of spaces that are like a shared space. So it's yeah. like, oh, will you open a coffee shop in our space? And I talk to a lot of people that do it. And like sharing a bed with somebody is difficult. Mm. Um, and uh, I always knew that it wasn't sustainable because you're always at the mercy of their balance sheet. Yeah. Like if, if that business collapses, then you're gone with it, you know? Mm. So I knew I didn't have any long-term safety. So I, we opened up in Grand Canal Street because it was the cheapest cafe that I could find. Yeah, okay. And it was in a part of the world that was, again, dead, but I thought, look, if it's good, we can make people come. Mm. Um, and it's like that. We got, got lucky because since then, like, like within a block of our shop now are Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, uh, Stripe, like anyone mm. who's anyone yeah. are within that area. That area's really grown, so we've grown with it. So it's been really good. And the food and drink scene in, in the city anyway has grown. So we've been fortunate with that. Uh, we ran the two together for about a year. And then we, at the time, we'd also start wholesaling Hasbeen coffee. So yeah. I should probably explain. Steve Layton from Hasbeen, um, I gave him half of my business so that we mm. could distribute Hasbeen in Ireland. We built that wholesale base until we had about half a ton a week mm. through our shop and other mm. shops. Once we hit that point, we opened up a roastery in Dublin. So yeah. then from day one, we were, we were viable. Yeah. And then we got from there. Can you walk us through? Because that's, uh, again, you, you say it as it's, uh, you know, being the most natural thing uh, on, on earth to do a stuff, to do something like that. But as a, as a business owner myself, that's a, I would assume that to be a pretty big decision, right? And then how, what to was... To take Steve on. <laughs> to, to, to take Steve on, first of all. No, but, to, you know, to do that kind of transition, right? And, and, and basically give away a part of your business as well for what you, you see an oppor- yeah. as an opportunity, right? And what was, where did that come from? Trust. Trust, yeah. Again, I think it's, it's the same with any aspect of the business. It's all mm. about trust. Yeah. Like, and even in small ways, like, I, I picked you up from the airport because I trust mm. you. You know, at some level. You know we, I mean? we have actually never actually sat down and have a, had a conversation before. So yeah. that's it. But that's you good. know what I mean? But yeah. it's like, yeah, there has to be some level. Because otherwise, if it was just a random person, I'd be like, okay, well, just come to my premises at yeah. this time. Yeah, you know? fair enough. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, it infiltrates everything. But like the first time I met Steve, I'd been buying coffee online for him for a while and I'd won the Irish Barista Championships and he realized that he needed a better coffee for World Championships. And I emailed him and said, um, I, I'm going to the World Championships, I was wondering if you'd be interested in roasting some yeah. coffee for me, I'm happy to pay for it. And he emailed me back like within five minutes, probably an A4 page, and said, look, come over this weekend, I'll pick you up at the airport. And that's what I emailed him. I said, look, I'll just come to see you. He said, I'll pick you up from the airport, mm. it's only down the road. So on the Saturday morning, I landed in Birmingham at seven o'clock, and then we drove the hour and a half to his house. You know, like it, yeah. it wasn't there. Yeah, that's yeah. And he brought me into his roastery. He showed me all the coffees. He says, "Whatever you want, we'll do." He drove it back. To, like he's, he was just amazing from day one. I had a list of all these roasteries I was going to contact. Yeah. And has been just by chance was the first one that yeah, yeah. I wrote down, and I never contacted anybody else. Mm. And it's been like that since. Like mm. he's Steve is. I don't. I don't think people understand how how amazing a person Steve is, mm. and he just uh, so for me, it's a no brainer. Like yeah. it was a split second decision. Yeah, yeah. Well, it has been. I think for a lot of people, is the same when I started. It was one of the the 
first coffee companies that I interacted with or that I, that I noticed online as well. Mm. Uh, it's, it's hard not to. I think all of us have kind of gone through them in, in one way or the other, which yeah, is really yeah. cool. And then obviously they keep on uh, doing really cool things, winning the World Wars Championship ladies. So um, very, very relevant always. Yeah. You know? But how are you? Okay, so you have a coffee shop. The coffee shop is running well, I presume. Um, and you want to start a roastery. Why do you want to start a roastery? Um, how do you start a roastery? Because uh, I think that's something that we're we're seeing more and more now, where, where every coffee shop wants to start a roast coffee. The question here is: Should every coffee shop start a roast coffee? Uh, and if you should, what what do you have to think about? Right. Obviously, the way that you did it is um, innovative in the sense that you worked with with Steve, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what are you? Did did you have to start a roastery? Was that very important? No, like there was a lot of reasons not to start it because. We had a strong wholesale customer base. We had a really great roaster that we worked with. Yeah. We got to pick and choose what we wanted to roast. We got mm. equal prices. Yeah. Um, and I think if anything, it's it's because, well, obviously we're interested in doing it, but it, it brought a bit more stability to what we were doing because yeah. then we'd have a roastery here and we kind of become master of our own destinies. And I think when I worked in the bank, that's the thing that I, I really like yearned for because I was doing stuff every day and not fully understanding what it was all about. It was just a yeah. small cog in a massive machine. And then the, the idea of like controlling your environment was, was really important to me. So, um, I, like I said to Steve, I want to open his roaster. He said, I think it's a bad idea. And I went, well, I want to do it. He went, okay, I fully support you. Okay. Let's yeah. do it properly. So yeah. he took over Pete Williams, who was working for us at the time, trained him up for like, you know, I think two months or, and then when we opened up, and um, spent lots of time coming back and forth and mm. like gave us the list of stuff that you need for a roastery mm. like mm. like all the little things you know, yeah, like yeah. The it's, a, it's, it's a much longer list than what the more one would pursue yeah yeah and like the the, the air condensers and you know the, yeah. the right bag sealer and yeah. the right, you know the stuff that you, you didn't have to make any mistakes you know mm. and um it was very bare bones but it, it was functional yeah and we've kind of gone from there so like like we're in the we moved roastery last year and this place is a lot bigger but it, it's given us space to grow but it's yeah i don't know i often wonder is it, is it the best thing to do like in, in ireland definitely there was no like very specialty focused roastery and yeah. i felt like we would never be respected on a world level until we did something ourselves not yeah so yeah would you um let's say that that decision was was made now made today right would you would you start a roastery today if you were in the exact same position right i don't know because like i've just said to you that like we'd never be respected on a world level if yeah. we didn't yes yeah. it's that's bollocks what did yeah. i say bollocks yeah okay um bollocks um so they uh it's like it's not true but it's how i felt at the time yeah it, okay. it is I don't. Well, is 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 that first of all important to you? Like, is it is it important to be respected international? Well, I don't know. Like, I think you're probably the same. We all say, "Oh, I don't care what people think." We all, yeah, yeah of course we do. Yeah, care sure. people don't yeah, think about us. Sure. And I think it was about. We probably shouldn't, but yeah, yeah. we shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It was definitely. I wouldn't do it today because we were very much uh, not not completely, but like we were one of the first movers. Yeah, you know. Uh, whereas today I see roasteries opening, like I, I don't know, um, like I did this post on Instagram recently and it had a list of all of the Irish uh, Irish roasters yeah. that have that are, uh, opened or you know that exist. Ireland's a country of four and a half million people. Mm. It's not a big country. No. Like it's you know a third the size of London. Mm. Um, and 
even when I posted a list, I got so many messages from people about places I forgot. I think it, the list is currently up, up around 60. 60, okay, that's amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, it's difficult, you know, and mm. I think uh, if I'd have known how difficult it was going to be, I probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we did, and here we are, and it's, I mean, I'm proud of it, you know, it's, but it's, uh, it's definitely had its challenges. You know? Yeah, yeah. How long has it taken you to, um, come to a place because when I look at 3AP now or, or the kind of different parts of what you do and also what we talked about in the car, so you do a lot of things now, right? Mm. It's a, um, it's a machine company, it's a coffee shop, it's a roastery. It's, it's you going off on your own writing books, yeah. uh, which we have to come into as well. And, and how I'm very interested in understanding how you time this, how you decide when, okay, now I should include this new part of my business in it as well. Yeah. Or did everything just happen all at once? Um, it was very staged. Like, I think one thing, like, from the roastery perspective is, I know, like, it's getting very cutthroat, but you know that more than anybody, I suppose, that in the, in the wholesale market. So we, it's important to me that we are our own biggest wholesale customer. So, yeah. like, a third of our roasting every week is for ourselves. Mm. Um, and that gives us, you know, you know, hopefully this won't happen if all of our wholesale mm. customers dropped off tomorrow. Yeah. we'd still be able to uh, to operate, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, and a lot of the reasons why we expand into different areas is because we have great people. And what I was noticing is that these great people were leaving the business. Mm. And it was, it's heartbreaking. Like, mm. this person is really great at what they do. Yeah. Now they want to leave. And, like, and I realized that over time that, like, I needed to create career paths for people mm. or else the business wasn't sustainable. Yeah. And I was spending so much time retraining, uh, training new people all the time. Mm. And then also... Um, I needed to stop trying to do everything because when I was taking tasks, if somebody was given a task and I'd take it off them because they were doing it wrong or because I felt I could do it better, it's incredibly demotivating for them mm. um, and they soon leave. Yeah. Also, it was having a really bad effect on me. Like at one stage, I ended up in hospital convinced there was something really seriously wrong with me and um, a doctor just sat me down and said, you're stressed. And yeah. I said, uh, yeah. I'm not stressed. I said, yeah. you know, you're your body isn't letting you know that you're stressed, or your yeah. mind isn't letting you know you're stressed, but you are. And I would just, then I really realized that like that lifestyle for me wasn't sustainable. Mm. So I needed to build a grown-up business mm. that had functions and had systems and the skills that I didn't have, I needed to import. And then yeah. I needed to let people make mistakes and grow in their roles. And today, they all make jokes that I do nothing around here, and I'm really proud of it. Which should be the which should be the goal, right? As a, as an entrepreneur in that sense, right? Where you you want to be in a situation where you have a, a company that can sustain without yeah. you, right? That, that's basically uh, the best evidence you can get of, of you actually doing a great job. Right? Yeah. Um, and then also you you get time to figure out what to do next, right? You get time exactly. to write a book. Yeah, because um, you can't. It's hard to like. I don't know, the ship needs to be moving by itself. And like, I feel like I'm steering it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I can't be shoving coal into the engine, you know what I mean? And I can't mm. be lifting the sails or whatever, whatever analogy you want to throw in there. Mm. And the different people have different roles within the business, but it's you can't do all of those things. And it's uh, it's difficult though, because I want to be the best at everything in my business. Yeah. And like today, you know, Craig is better at sales than I was, and mm. Robin is better at making coffee than I was, mm. and you know, Kieran is better at the accounts, and Garrett is better at the operations, and 
you know, they're all going to kill me if they're left off that list. It's like 45 of them now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody who's in there is now better than what I was. And that's kind of soul-destroying in one sense, but it's really um, rewarding in another. Mm. Mm. But it's, um, yeah, it's it, it, it definitely took a long, it took a lot of pain to realize that. But then once I did, it definitely made things a lot easier. Yeah. You, you talk about, you talk about trust. You talk about career paths was I think in, in coffee is, is one of our biggest challenges in terms of creating companies with integrity and, and with quality and, and are able to sustain, right? It's very difficult for anyone to retain good staff. I, I started a company because I couldn't find another company that had a career path for me within that company, right? Yeah. Um, so how, what have you kind of actively done to, to fix that here at 3 of Um, it's a good question. Like we, it's, it's, I don't think I've fully answered it to be honest with you mm. because it's such a young industry and I kind of, it's, it's within the shops, it's a difficult thing because we've got really great people that work in their shops. But I mean, uh, how do I motivate them to be in the shop when they're 40 or 50? You know, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Definitely. Yeah. And the baristas are very good at saying, Oh, well, I want to be a roaster. And you yeah. know, it's, is you can only have so every, everybody can't roast, you know, mm. it's, it, it's only so many jobs there. I think what you do see a lot in, in coffee companies is that people get into wholesale, but sales is like, I love sales. Yeah. Like, like I, I enjoy sales. Yeah. Bad sales people are, you know, there to, to, you know, rip people off. But like good sales people are just solving problems. That's, yeah, for sure. You know, people need something, they, they have it, they sort them out, make everything easy. And I love that. Like I get a real buzz out of it. But like, just because you're a good person doesn't mean you're a good salesperson. Definitely not. And some people take a few years to find that out, and it's like so you have to find appropriate um, career paths for us. And it's one of the areas we're doing, we're opening like essentially a restaurant mm. in the coming months because the one area we don't have a, a, a career path is for our, our food team, like the chefs. Yeah. So we've always been holding them back because I don't want three of you to become too much about food. So. Mm. Um, we're opening a place called Gertrude, which will be like morning till night, but it's it's more so they can spread their wings a bit more at food and do some more adventure yeah. stuff. But like within the coffee area, like we have it, we have training, so we've got now Ethna runs training. She's again better than I was at it, mm. and she does events as well. But she was a barista, and Craig who does the machine sales, he sells like, like Black Eagles and Mythos and all sorts of equipment. Yeah, he was a barista, mm. and then you know it, it's. Uh, we have roasters, we have operations people, we've got the website, and most of them were baristas with us, or, or maybe somewhere else as well. Um, but again, it's like it feels like that's we're only we're building kind of like one level of a building at a time. But mm. I mean, and they're yeah. like, well, What's the next level? I'm like, Oh, yeah. you do that, and I'll think of the next step, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's kind of their job is to look after them now and all think of the future, which is, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah, but for I, sure. I think it's, I hope it's going the right way. How, how many people is it in the in the company now? About 45. About yeah. 45. Yeah, so we have a shop called Five Points, which is a joint venture with another, one of our managers before from Gankana Street, a guy called Adam yeah. Sheridan. Uh-huh. So he wanted to open his own shop and he came to me and said, oh, I want to do this. And he didn't have any money. Mm. So we bankrolled it. We did the back end, he did the front end. Mm-hmm. And it works really well. Uh, and then we have two, three, three shops. Mm. And we have uh, a training center there that we have the wholesale team, the roastery team, and then a kind of a head office, which is three guys that, um, that work in Grand Canal Street and office there. So, yeah, it's a bit, I don't know. I remember it was just me. And mm. now it's mm. 
45 plus. How, how do you... Um... Because it's it's difficult to retain some kind of company philosophy, you know, simply based on sheer numbers. So forty-five is a lot of people, right? Yeah. But you also have forty-five people in, in technically different industries within the companies, in different physical uh, locations as well. How do you make sure that all of them feels that they're part of the same company? Oh, I don't want to say that we are doing that because, okay. like, it's that's the goal is to do that. But yeah. I, like, we definitely make mistakes in that, and it's such a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's based on a lot of things. The clarity is really important, um, and you, you can always do a better job of that. And mm. Like last, what I'm currently doing next week, I set aside two days, mm-hmm. and I put a spreadsheet on Google Docs and I sent it to all the staff and said, "These are all the slots. Stick your name in. You can just come have a chat to me for half an hour." Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and it's things like that I, I, I think will help and and build that. But I think um, like trust and respect is really important, mm. and I like to think that we do really good at that so we try to create a respectful environment we try to be respectful for our customers so we have a wholesale customer if he's not being mm. respectful we'll just drop them yeah and thankfully that's only happened once or twice yeah um if some of the staff are being disrespectful to some of their co-workers then mm. that's a really serious matter um i'm sure you'll get an email from somebody who, who thinks differently but i always try to be respectful to the staff and yeah, yeah and, and show that there so and i think it um it always um it it, it that sort of thing permeates a whole business and it creates a culture that's really strong. And like culture is such a, it's people bandy about, talk about culture and business, how it drives things. And they think it stops or it starts and stops with getting a foosball table for the staff room. And it doesn't, you know, it has nothing yeah. to do with that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about having clarity and shared values and, and treating people with respect. And hopefully it comes from that. And you can, you can tell it a mile away when mm. you go to a place, you know, mm. like if mm. the staff have been treated well. Mm. Um, and that like, in a coffee shop, you can tell straight away. Yeah, you really can. And I've—I I mean, I don't go to coffee farms. Steve does all the sourcing, but he tells me that as soon as he steps out of a car at a farm, he can tell. Yeah, you know, he—he he looks at the body language of whoever owns the farm when they're talking to whoever's working there, and all of us, he knows straight away. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's really important. So I hope that we do a good job of that. So there is a lot of, um, to, to some extent, gut feeling has been an important part of, of, of building 380 in that sense, right? That kind of first impression. Yeah. Like it's, so we walked in the door and I said, this is, you know, Patrick from April Coffee Roses. Mm. And everybody stood up and came and shook your hand. Mm. And I was yeah, so that, proud. That, that would never happen. I, seriously, that, I've been to a lot of roasteries around the world and that's, that, would, that would be a very rare thing. I think that, I think almost I was really probably the first thing, yeah. and they know that Kieran for yeah. like Kieran is an accountant. He has no idea who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now yeah, the, yeah. some of the other guys definitely do know who you are, but it's um it's good that he got up and shook your hand as well because it's just that's what happens, you know. Yeah, for sure. And it's really important, and it's um like that's really rewarding when someone emails me and says, "I went here and had a really good experience." Mm. You can't. It's really you can't buy that, mm. and it's the most valuable thing you can have in business. Mm. And you, you, yeah, it can't be faked. So, yeah, I was. I should tell them actually. I was really proud of them. Yeah, you, you, sh- you should tell them. And then once you figured out how you created that, you should write a book about it. <laughs> because I think that's something that we're we're. I can I can see that in different industries uh, when when I when I travel around, but I don't see it in coffee. It's a very very rare thing. Part of that is probably because coffee is a very young market, as mm. we talked about before as well, right? We haven't really found our place yet. We're all kind of. 
uh, we're struggling a bit fighting um, fighting with each other because none of us is making as you know as much money as we want or no one is growing as kind of um, sustainable as we want as well right? so there's a lot of frustration i find right so conversations like this is, is very rare in general right yeah. and uh like colin when, when i came in here he basically just gave me a complete rundown of everything that's happening in in your company right mm. which is that kind of level of transparency is a very very rare thing as well it yeah. almost never happens like talking okay this is where we roast this is how we source this is how much we do, this is how we like to do things, this is where we get this, and so on and so on, right? That's a, um, it's not a natural thing. It happens very rarely, right? Um, and I want to kind of, I want us to switch gears a bit. Uh, we need to talk about your book, because I'm really interested in your book. I'm interested in the, in the, in the concept and the, and the whole process of writing a book as well, which is probably not the easiest. Mm. Um, so why write a book? And for, for those of you that don't know about what is the book about? So the book is called What I Know About Running Coffee Shops. Yeah. And I probably don't need to tell you what it's about. <laughs> Hopefully not. No. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, it probably goes back to me, as, as, like, as a young adult, like I was saying before, when we were talking about competition. Like, I had lots of ambitions. Like I was saying to you, I, I wanted to be a professional footballer, and mm. I couldn't because I was shit. And... Uh, <laughs> I also wanted to be an author. I wanted to be a chef at some stage. And I, mm. a lot of these things, I just... Not even that I gave up on them. It's just I never even started because I just mm. didn't think that I would be able to do any of these. What things. was it? Because the the, the process in itself it, it seemed too big. No, like if you, it's weird. Like I'm, it's I had confidence that I would be able to do it if I applied myself. I yeah. just I didn't think that anybody else would have the confidence in me. Uh, okay. Does that make sense? So I think it's like the difference between confidence and self esteem. Like if I when I was a member when I was a kid and I'd look around the room I'd go. I remember like sitting there going, I don't think there's anyone here that is that is better than me at this or could do mm. or smarter than me or mm. could figure this out. But then I felt that if you asked everybody in the class mm. if if I was smarter, if I was capable, mm. none of them would say I was. You know, mm. Mm. there's a difference there. So I was able, and I never felt I had that support. I don't know why that was. I just I just wasn't a confident kid in that sense. And but, then, that, but that obviously because. Um, now we're jumping back a bit again, back to 3FE, but I think this is really, this is really interesting because one of the main reasons why, why I sit and I do this conversation is integrity. I feel an, an extreme lack of integrity in this uh, industry in general, right? Mm. And I think part of how you get integrity is that you're able to do um, the things you want without thinking too much about what other people are doing, right? Yeah. So when I look at 3FE, I don't see a company that is too concerned about what's going on outside of 3FE in, yeah. in the best kind of way, right? Whereas you guys, you have an identity that you guys believe in and you push that. Yeah. But then talking to you now, it sounds like you're, you had a, a traditional period there where you went from maybe caring a lot about what other people thought, keeping yeah. you from doing certain projects, to today, you're running a company that seems to be some kind of, um, uh, you know, um, golden example of, of integrity. How how did that happen? Like it, it's like I was saying before. It's like I just got, I got angry about it. You know, it's just, I realized that I've been spending a lot of my life trying to make people happy, yeah. uh, and I wasn't going to ever. Like it was never there was never going to be a point where if I just did what people expected of me, that they would turn around and go off. Oh, Brilliant, well done. Yeah. And I realized, you know what, I just need to make myself happy. And like a lot of it really 
comes from like meeting my wife. My wife's an amazing person and she was mm. really supportive of me. And I think half of me was like, she's going to find out that I'm not amazing soon. And the other half of me is like, well, if she believes in me, I can do this. Yeah. Uh, and she was definitely a big uh, catalyst for it all happening. Yeah. And then what I found over the years is that it's a strange thing that all these ambitions and goals that I had as a child like somehow came true. Mm-hmm. So, um, have you ever seen the Randy Pouch talks? Yeah. No, like this is, oh, it's like if you have an hour or an hour and a half to spare, yeah. oh, you go to Randy Pouch, uh, it's called the, was it the, the last lecture, I think. It's about, like that, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And he, um, he talks about a very similar thing, but it's like, I, so I wanted to play for Ireland when I was a kid. Like mm. Paul McGraw was my hero. And I didn't do that, but I did represent Ireland at the World Wrestling Championships. So I represented my country, mm. which is mm. an amazing thing for me. Okay? Mm. So I wanted to be a chef. Yeah. I was convinced by my teachers that I shouldn't do it because it was, you know, really bad errors, really bad pay, really bad working conditions. Mm. Um, and so I, I didn't explore that. And now we have a kitchen and I'm involved in the food and get to... Yeah, and you're starting a restaurant, basically, right? Yeah, and then also get to create an environment for chefs yeah, better yeah. than... Than, than what the traditional one is, so I got mm. to do that. I wanted to be an author, yeah. um, and wanted wanted to be a journalist. And in like the past, I've gotten to write for newspapers and magazines, and also got to publish the book. Mm. And so I feel like I'm going back to my childhood and, and picking up those dreams that I had and those ambitions that I had mm. that I just dropped before they got anywhere near mm. viable. Mm. And seeing if I can realize them in in a more modern sense. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. And it's amazing the roads that it's led us down, or led me down, because I wanted to be an architect. Mm. Once I can do that, but I'm now designing coffee bars, SketchUp, yeah. which is like a smaller yeah. version of it, you know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I feel it's great because I get to pick and choose all the stuff that I wanted to do before, and it's I'm incredibly fortunate to be in that position. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think we, we have to know down as well, because <laughs> we also, I asked you how old you are. Uh, and and uh, I, I estimated too high, right? Yeah, As, we're not friends anymore. Exactly. We, we actually don't <laughs> like each other. And but the reason why I did that was because um, you've done a crazy amount of stuff. And it's not just that you've done stuff, you've done really, really well, right? You've been producing very good results uh, and, and you're still very young for, for the results that you have created. And 3FE as a company as well is, I would almost have assumed it was older. Right? Because when I look at other companies in the industry on the same kind of level, uh, it had taken them more time to get there hmm. than, than, than for you, right? Oh. So um, before we end this later, we need to also talk about you know, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Because it seems like there's so much more time. And if you keep up this, fa- this pace, there's uh, you know, no limit to what actually can happen. But let's go back to the book. We started to talk about it. Um, who should read this book? So, yeah, so I've always, I've always wanted to read a book and mm. I think a lot of people, or wrote, write a book even, yeah. and a lot of people have been there and I wanted to, um, it kind of sat on my laptop in various different guises and never really took off. And then I enrolled in a master's course because I thought I had the time. So I did, I did a master's in innovation, enterprise and design. Yeah. And as part of that, you have to launch a business. So I said, well, here's an opportunity to, with a book, it's all about deadlines. Mm. You know? And then I had no deadlines because I was doing it myself. Yeah. So that gave me the spark to do it. Suddenly I had deadlines out to actually make it happen so that it happened within six months and they launched it and like it's i wrote it from wait did did you write this book with in six months yeah that's crazy i actually wrote it that's I think absolutely I wrote it crazy probably less maybe three or four months 
Like, it, and it, it, it's not crazy though, okay? Because if I said to you, okay, what's what's the deal with rate of rise? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You give me an answer, okay? And that yeah. answer is not the same answer that you always give, but it's definitely drawn from the same pool of thoughts yeah, that sure. you have, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And you could give me, you know, you could give me 10,000 words hmm. straight off the bat, very yeah. easily. Yeah. And you've given that answer a thousand times. So when somebody asks me, like over the years, people ask me about um, how to sell retail coffee or mm. staff costs mm. or um, choosing a location. Mm. And I've met so many people and talked to so many people about open coffee shops that they're just stock answers. Mm. So the first task for me was to think of subjects. Mm. Once I had them, what I tended to do was to put my earphones in uh, when I'm driving home. So generally the traffic is about an hour on my way home. Yeah. Uh, press record on my iPhone and talk about that topic for oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And then in other situations, I'd go, actually, you know what? That dude or that woman emailed me and asked me that question a few years ago. And I'd search the email, find the response I sent them, and then turn it into a chapter. Mm. And so all of a sudden, I was just pulling in these answers. So it felt very natural. Like mm. it's, It was like reciting the alphabet in a lot of cases. It just, mm. I just yeah. knew the answer because I've just said it so many times. Yeah. And it's not like that. I'd like to think the book isn't written in absolutes. It's just... It's it's not called how to run a coffee shop. It's called yeah. what I know about running coffee. Shops. I know, yeah, and sure. it's, there's a distinct difference because I, I didn't want to be like running a coffee shop is is in is a uh, like it's we have a successful coffee shop. I think mm. broadly speaking, yeah, we do good numbers. We're profitable. Mm. We do good quality. Mm. Got a good reputation. We've been there for a long time. But like 63 days ago, we made a mess of it. Mm. You know, 147 days ago. We're doing really well. Mm. You know, 211 days ago, it was fine. You mm. know what I mean? It's it's a constant state of flux. Yeah. Like, at different times today, it's bad and good. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's no, there are no absolutes. That's mm. what the coffee shop is. So that's what it's trying to get across. And more than anything, I think, and I think if if the book is successful, it's because it's, it's not too specific at times. It's, it's, it's like, it gives you an insight, which is interesting to to <laughs> civilians, yeah. for want of a better phrase. So, like, I read a lot of book about, books about architects or cyclists or surgeons. Mm. And mm. I find them interesting. I'm interested in their processes, mm. how they think, what they do, and which is different to reading a textbook about what they do. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I, I've had emails from people who aren't in coffee and have read the book and enjoyed it. And that's mm. that's that's the real victory. That's that's what the real reward is. Mm. Aside from the money, the money's about to work. But it's definitely, yeah, it's it's taken me by surprise and it, it takes the box. Like, like more than anything, I didn't go to a publisher, I just published it myself. Mm. Uh, printed it, sold, sold, sold it through our existing sales channels. And really, I just wanted to be able to pull a book off a shelf in 40 years' time. I go, I did that and I'm proud of it. And mm. that's what I wanted mm. to be. Mm. Well, will there, will there be more books? I don't know, probably. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like I want to do more. Um, so how I got the topics together, this is, I suppose, interesting, I suppose, some people would, mm-hmm. is that if I was going on the street and I went, oh, that'd be a good topic, I'd send myself an email, yeah. and in the title of the email, I'd write book with three O's, mm-hmm. and then in the subject of the email, I'd write, you know, a line about what the chapter would be about, Okay. and then I'd send it to myself and then archive it. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to the stage where I'm looking to write something or to talk about something on my mm. on my iPhone to record, I just search all the titles. You know, yeah, I'll talk about that. One. Okay, cool. 
So at the moment, I've got about 40 topics for book two with three O's. Amazing. Yeah. So I'll string that together and have a look at it. Is, uh, is that a process that you developed yourself or is, is it something you have? Like, how, how did you learn to write a book? I don't know. I think I've always, like... I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's not that I, I think Irish people have a way with words. Okay. Like, we're a nation of storytellers. Yeah. Like, if you even think of the city you're sitting in at the moment, you have, like, Oscar Wilde or Samuel Beckett or yeah, yeah. William Butler Yeats or James yeah. Joyce. The list yeah. goes on and on and on. It's a city of half a million people. And, like, it's the land of saints and scholars is what they say. But it's... If you're Irish people, we're just brought up telling stories. Mm. And I've always seen... I think the World versus Championships... I was trying to tell stories yeah. and entertain with yeah. my versus competition routines and that was always something that people really responded to yeah. in a way that I found shocking. Okay. And they would kind of go, well, what, why? And then when it was successful, I couldn't figure out why other people weren't doing it. Mm. So I think that it kind of came naturally in that sense. And I've, I've always enjoyed um, uh, writing. I think it's it's quite it's something. I, I like to write in a way that is very simple. Like I think if you can mm. find eight words to say something that, you know, other people would take 40 or 50 words to say yeah. and you're doing a better job. Yeah. I get to be concise and engaging, so I don't know. I hope I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think you have, like it says, um, um, to, to some extent, an in, instant success, right? I think that a lot of people are reading the book. It's, it's getting out there. Uh, there will be a, a Russian version of this book coming out as well. Yeah. So I had a lot of inquiries from people in like Russia and China and Korea and other countries asking for translations and mm. a lot of them would say, oh, just send us the PDF and we'll translate it and sell it. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. I don't mm. know mm. how to do this. So I was referred to um, a literary a literary agent in London, explained my situation, told them that we'd already sold 10,000 books. Mm. And then I needed somebody to manage translations, and he went, "Okay, we'll do it." So he's since come back and said he'll have a Russian one, or we we have a contract for a Russian book that I have to sign in the coming weeks. Mm. And we are currently talking to people about uh, Korean and Chinese versions and other ones to follow, which is very very surreal. Uh, I yeah, I didn't like to be honest. With you, I was saying this to you earlier that like the the drop off. It's like printing business cards at a certain level. You reach. A good price point, and then after mm. that, there isn't much more benefit to ordering more. So, mm. cost of printing ten thousand units was half the price per unit of or uh, printing five thousand, mm. and twenty thousand was almost exactly the same. I think it was like a five percent difference. Yeah. So it just became well, I have to sell ten thousand. Mm. And then I I kind of felt that if it took me ten years, it would be fine. Mm. Um, but I had to order ten thousand, and then like they were gone within six months, mm. which is. I don't know. I always, I'm always, I always talk good. <laughs> you can ask the guys here. I always like, yeah, we'll definitely do it. In the back of my mind, I was like, this is going to be a disaster. Yeah. But um, it's definitely gone better than I expected. And yeah, it's been enjoyable. I'm glad I did it the way I did it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not everyone that can pull that off by themselves. I would uh, definitely not say. And it's going to be really interesting to read whatever comes up in the future as well. Um, let's transition from the uh, from the book. We talked we talked about three feet. We talked about that kind of story: roastery, coffee shop, uh, uh, machine company, everything. Um, how about the the state of specialty coffee, right? Or or coffee? I, I, I actually don't like the term specialty coffee in general. But um, where where are we? Like what what is coming next? Uh, is there any trends? Is there any indications, positive and negative? Where is this industry actually heading? 
Um, we had we had a really good event recently here. Um, James Hoffman came and spoke about his thoughts on this as well. And I think mm. it's on the foot of meaning having conversations, you know, because we did a lot of work together with Victoria Regal. Mm. We'd have conversations over a glass of wine, and I think uh, the last time we'd done it, I said we should do this as an event, and then off we did. So, but I think yeah, you probably have similar views to me in this. I think the next couple of years we're going to see a lot of consolidation. Mm. I think we're going to see a lot of the a lot of smaller businesses like the coffee shops and roasteries out there that have been doing you know really you know beating the specialty drum. Mm. A lot of them are, are just going to run out of energy. Yeah, because there's a lot of viable businesses that are coming along that aren't as restrictive mm. that are doing a comparable job mm. uh, without all the baggage and have systems and processes and funding and mm. it, I don't know I'm a bit fearful for the next year for some people but what we get in return though is I think we get a viable industry yeah get career paths and we get um we get structure and we get you know pensions and mm. yeah, yeah no, for sure and, and, and like you know all of the things we need to actually make this work in in the long run to some extent yeah absolutely um, it's gonna get very hard for a lot of people and for us included as well because like we're, we're neither big nor small so we're yeah caught between two stills at the moment I think yeah, yeah. Um, so um, but it's it's an exciting time there's definitely some opportunity there but it's it will be hard mm. what would you be um, again let's let's say that you you start a coffee company today right what, what would you bet on uh, if you didn't have to if um, you're you know straight off uh, straight from the bank um, what would you actually bet on today so are you saying like would I open a roastery or a coffee shop yeah, or exactly yeah Okay. Or, or something else. Uh, I would. So like, I I love the shop. Mm. Like I love it. Mm. And on the balance sheet, the roastery or the machine business or even the books, I suppose, would probably be better. Mm. Um, but I love the shop. Mm. And I think like I worry about the day when, hopefully this doesn't come, but like the day when that shop isn't mine anymore. Mm. Um, where will I go? What would I do? Mm. You know, like my office is above it now, and but like just coming in and seeing people and talking to people and that kind of interaction, that space and the sound of the cups clanking and the grinders going and the smell of coffee and I just it's it's everything to me. Like I come in on my days off, mm. and I only nip in, grab coffee, and go again. But like that's it's so special. Mm. Like it's so special, and I love the roastery and I love what we've done here. But if you like put a gun to my head and said, you know, you can have one aspect of the business, I would, I would keep the shop. Mm. You know, that's what I love. Mm. And if it all fell apart tomorrow, I would find, you know, a small little shop somewhere that I could run by myself, mm. and I'd do that again. Oh, amazing. I think I think actually that's a great way to to wrap this up and on a great note. Um, I think like what it comes down to and what we've been talking about the most here is is love to some extent, right? Uh, trust. Trust is a big part of what you're, of what you're doing. And um, integrity in that sense, right? And how you can transfer uh, your own integrity to the team that you're working with and the, the important part of that. Um, and understanding that with without the team, you're not going to be able to make this work, right? Yeah. So there's always kind of two parts of it. Um, but also to some extent, um, um, you know, no product is too big. And in the end of the day, like as you said, you're 
you're ending up doing all of those things that you actually wanted to do mm. uh, when you were little. And all of that is because you actually got pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is interesting. And, you know, there, there's different ways um, for, for that to happen, I'm sure. Like, yeah. different people have different triggers, right? But, I'm, not, uh, I'm not really, like, well, I hope I'm not an angry person. You don't, you don't come across as a very angry person. Yeah. Right? No, for it, sure. It took a lot for me to get to that point, but I think uh, it's probably necessary, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think that's... Um, um, you need to step out of your your box, uh, for lack of a better term, to to kind of um, see things differently and approach things differently as well. And it's, it's very important that you you do that every once in a while. Even I'm sure you do that even now with three fee in that sense, right? Like every once in a while, you need to just pause, step out, have a look at it, maybe get a bit angry, yeah, uh, <laughs> and then kind of decide how to move on, right? Because that process, um, that process doesn't stop. And something that I've been thinking about. Um, okay, we're going to talk a bit longer because this is interesting. Uh, something I've been talking about is, uh, or thinking about, is the prospect of you, you leave a job as an employee because to some extent you have an idea that um, there's something better out there, right? And you're going to end up being more fulfilled and you're going to be, you're naive enough to believe you can get constantly fulfilled for the rest of your life and you mm-hmm. never have to move again right and i'm curious i'm, I'm very early uh, in my stage with april but i'm realizing as well that that may come even if you started your own company right mm. uh, and i'm wondering if that is something you you think about do you have an angle do you have a process for um you know if it comes a time where okay fuck 3fe is not what i want to do now uh, yeah like one thing that i worry about a lot and think about a lot is am I the right person to do my job mm. yeah um, and as the business has grown I've hired people to do things and I see them doing better than me like uh, there's a burden of responsibility in me to, like to make sure that everybody that works here is, is looked after for the future mm. and there's a huge part of me that like I'd say I have probably a crisis every six months where I'm like, do I need to get somebody else to do this? Can I do this anymore? Mm. And like I, I ask people and they tell me that I am, but I'm not sure. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it, it's a difficult thing. You know, when it, sometimes I feel like I could take over the world and other times I feel like, you know, I'm absolutely just a complete mm. fraud, you know, and that I, I shouldn't be doing this and they're going to, you know, I'm going to be found out soon. Yeah. So all of the, I think the trick is to exist in the middle, but my concern is always for the business. Mm. And definitely I have other ambitions and things that I want to do. And uh, maybe it'll come to a time where I do have to step away. But at the moment, I always feel like, I don't know, that I've I've always felt like I've got the next step Mm. in me. You know what I mean? Mm. But I've felt that way since I was running a coffee bar with just me and 16 cups of coffee a day. Mm. You know what I mean? I was like, I've got the next step. And as long as that feeling is always there, I think I'll, I'll keep going. But um, the fear never leaves, like, you know. And I don't know if it's different for people. I know people who are CEOs of other people's businesses. Mm. And I don't think that they get that feeling as much because they're hard to do a job. And it's a very, it's a very, it's a more linear thing. That's their workload. This is what they do. This Mm. is the task. This is their job description. But when you run, you own a business and you run a business, you constantly have to be aware of your own arrogance. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And I don't mean, I'd like to think I'm not an arrogant person, but like, Am I doing? Am I the? Am I the? the am I running this business because it, it's good for my ego, or because I don't mm. trust anyone else to do it, or, or am I running this business because I am the best person to run mm. this business? 
and I I don't know if that question will ever be answered or if it'll ever go away, you know. But I suppose in, in itself, it's healthy enough to, to keep thinking that. I, I think you have to, and I think it's um, it, it takes a lot for for anyone that that ever gone through the process of starting a company to even reflect on that, right? I think it's a very uh, it's a very big thing to be able to do, and something that showcases the the ability of being objective, right? Perspective. Yeah. Which is is uh, most likely why you are where you are today as well, right? Um, I see a lot of owners running running coffee companies, uh, both from a branding perspective, but also just from a structural perspective, where they're they're building everything so much around themselves mm. that they're not able to 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 grow or actually push that forward. There's something that comes up with um, with April when I'm, I'm I'm thinking about it as well. Whereas it can't be April, can't be Patrick. Right? Yeah. and Patrick is not April. Mm-hmm. They're actually two completely different things in that sense, right? It's hard. It's, it's super hard. I think so, and I think it's, it's hard on on two levels. It's hard on a personal level to actually separate those two, and it's perhaps even harder from an industry level, right? Because when someone is looking at a company, they often have people associated with that company, right? Mm-hmm. And, and to some extent, for it to be truly successful, it needs to be a company and not an individual. individual right? itself, exactly. Yeah. Whereas at the same time, the individuals are actually the the company, right? So it's this very tough balance, I think. It's some of the parts, uh, yeah. Like we, we have this like phrase in, in three of these, like there's, there's decolonization. Is when yep. You take colon out of the process. And it's funny because when we have mess-ups, it's always because I've asked them to do something and it's like if you want to buy something there's purchase orders that need to be done and if there's the systems and procedures in place and anytime there's a mess up it usually involves me mm. asking them to do something out of the systems and procedures that are in place and then feeling a burden to do it mm. and then everybody goes oh that messed up because you didn't do it the way it's supposed to be done yeah. and i'm like oh okay yeah and it's kind of funny but like it's yeah it takes a long time to get there but it's, it's incredibly important the business is in its it has to be about structures and procedures as much as all the soft book and mm. stuff that we've spoken about mm. um, and, and finding that balance is difficult at the best of times but incredibly necessary mm. amazing um, let's finish up it's been really fun I have a feeling that this will be like a version 2 uh, in, in, in the future <laughs> so where did it go um, wrong <laughs> <laughs> exactly what, what happened with the next book now, but there, there, there's obviously so much to talk about um, but thank you for your time thank it's you been really me. interesting From us here at April, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thank you.